You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street, the horror movie podcast for the casually obsessed. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week on the podcast, we are going down the love canal on this hot June afternoon. We're talking about Valentine from 2001 and Tenebrae from 1982. Two. <laughs> Thanks, John. No problem. This canal's so dark, I can't see dates. <laughs> Thankfully, I wrote it in the back of my hand with Dayglow paint. Uh, th- if this was a love canal, it would definitely be the Willy Wonka Tunnel of Doom. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> 100%. Just like psychedelic music. Oh, the whole ride. The whole ride. From here to eternity. That's that's the Nightmare on Film Street love canal. For some reason, Willy Wonka's dubbed. <laughs> <laughs> the footsteps are all way too fucking loud. Oh, don't knock the footsteps, John. They're my favorite part. Uh, yeah, that's right. So we are talking about two um, oddly paired but very well-fitting movies uh, this week on the pod. Kind of a random theme. You know, we're, we're just throwing it out there. We're, we're, we're flying by the seat of our pants. Hey, and- it's a slasher that is attempting to maybe be a giallo and a giallo that definitely laid the groundwork for slashers that were already well underway at the time. Oh, that's good, John. That's real good. Also, both of the killers leave notes. That's the, yeah. <laughs> That's, that's kind of the important part there, yep. But before we get into the meat uh, and potatoes of this week's episode, John, what is keeping you creepy? Well, Tribeca has just finally wrapped the 2021 Tribeca, which was sort of a blend of 2020 Tribeca. Uh, you know, I'm sure. Uh, hey, you guys remember COVID? Remember how like that disrupted what? the world? Yeah, Tribeca <laughs> was one of the festivals that was uh, hit pretty hard by it, including uh, South by Southwest, just in the sense that they didn't have time to rebound or get a digital festival going. So a lot of the selections this year were were supposed to have played last year, uh, in, including a bunch of movies that we have reviews for on the website at nofspodcast.com if you want to check that out. Um, favorites, favorites, favorites. Favorites. So, I mean, there's there's definitely plenty of good stuff to check out. I think the first one that I should probably recommend is Josh Rubin's Werewolves Within. Uh, not just because it's a real fun, funny werewolf whodunit, but because it's going to be coming out this weekend. You can check <laughs> it out this weekend from IFC Films uh, in select theaters. I think it's on demand next week. So regardless of whether or not you have a theater available near you that's playing movies, you will be able to see Werewolves Within very soon. And if you liked Scary, I think you'll really like this one. Cool. Another movie to definitely keep an eye out for is Mickey Reese's Agnes, which is an exorcism movie. A Mickey Reese, director of Climate of the Hunter, who we had on the podcast recently. Uh, we, we, I also sat down to talk with him and the, the lead for the movie, Molly Sequin, who's an executive producer as well, about this. The, 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 oh, it's a weird one. Like, it's, it's uh, if you're familiar with Mickey Reese, weird is just par for the course, <laughs> right? Like, it's a possession movie. For the first half. For a bit. Yeah, for a bit. Like, it's everything you want in a possession movie for a little while. And th- and then it becomes this really weird... It's like, it's two movies smashed together. Um, you sort of had, like, this, like, coming-of-age coming of story for a, for a girl in her 30s. 
that is affected by the possession at the beginning of the movie, but it's a completely different story. Yeah, I'm still processing that one. Uh, it's definitely like a an interesting watch, though. And if you were a fan of Clyburn the Hunter, it's got a bunch of familiar faces in it, which was really great. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like Ben Ben Hall as as the as the tarnished priest. My favorite is that they bring in like this real Garth Brooks motherfucker <laughs> who's gonna da- banish these goddamn demons. <laughs> He's real cool. Oddball characters are are exactly what you're coming for with a Mickey Reese movie, and and you definitely get it with Agnes. So I keep an eye out for that one. Uh, an- a, a mo- another movie that is that is hitting Hulu this weekend. I wouldn't necessarily say that this was one of my favorites of the festival, uh, but the final like four seconds of this movie, fucking bonkers. You know what I'm talking about, I don't right? know what you're talking False about. False positive. It's sort of a gaslighty movie with Pierce Brosnan as a really untrustworthy gynecologist. I've already... What were the last four seconds? You don't remember this? I forgot. Well, I, can't, I can't talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's you know in the same vein as Rosemary's Baby, like where this pregnancy is maybe... It's, it's, it's not quite what she expects. It's not going the way she wants. Other people are taking control over her body kind of thing. It's much more of a Lifetime movie than a horror movie but uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're going to want to talk with your friends with the last four seconds of this movie so if you've got a Hulu subscription I recommend checking it out no we're talking offline John <laughs> the f- do you not re- oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah also just something to keep your ear to the ground for uh, Netflix's Fear Street trilogy is coming out very, very soon. The first film of the three, 1994, comes out July 2nd on Netflix, the streaming platform. Uh, I'm super stoked for it, so I'm assuming that you're super stoked for it. It's going to be really fucking cool. Well, I'm yeah, also, <laughs> also, well, one, it's releasing globally July 2nd, so it's not like you have, it's not coming to, you know, Netflix UK or Netflix Australia. Everybody gets it at the exact same time. It's like a Black Mirror event. Yeah! And... It's part of a trilogy, each part every Friday. So we get three weeks of Fear Street. I'm so excited. Which one are you most excited for? Because each, oh. each, if you do, if you don't already know this, if we are the ones that are introducing you to the fact that there are three Fear Street movies coming, the first one, Fear Street 1994. Part two, Fear Street 1978. And part three, Fear Street 1966. I fucked that one up. <laughs> I cannot choose. I could not simply choose because my head, I'm just like, yeah, 94, it's going to be so great. But it's first. It's first, John. Yeah, you got to come out strong. That way you hook everybody for the next two. They're ending on 1666. Like, what is that movie going to be? I'm so fucking pumped. Yeah, you like a good 1666 horror. I love a good anything, anything, anything horror. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh... Dang, real busy time for you guys this weekend if you need stuff to watch. Because beginning June 25th, but running all the way to July 25th, so you've got lots of time, uh, is the Etheria Film Festival. It's uh, It celebrates female filmmakers. It's actually going to be airing on Shudder, so you can check out all of the short films from the comfort of your own home. From the comfort of your own home. Yeah. Uh, I'd say if there are three that Kim and I have watched the entire program. Woo! Yeah, every single oh, one of so them. Oh, so good. Great. But if there's three that we could recommend, uh, number three, I would say, is is uh, the, the Fourth Wall, which is this French short. It's very sort of like Gaspar Noe-style filmmaking. It reminds me a lot of Bird... Well, it reminded you of Birdman. You're the one who said it. I'm taking words right out of your mouth on this one. Ha-ha. But, but like that same sort of idea that like it's all one continuous shot. 
in a sense, Birdman style, uh, in the backstage of, uh, of, of, of a play that's going on. Yeah, lots of fun stage lighting and just really playing with colors and, and depth and stuff. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. It was a nice eye feast. Yeah, number two, who goes there? A fucking like 25 minute horror western prairie horror yeah where like the devil comes fucking knocking on your door question mark yeah <laughs> oh it's it's real good stuff but i think cream of the crop for us is the shortest film of the festival it's called eye exam directed by aislin clark i hope i'm pronouncing that right because it's a celtic name uh, she's the director of the devil's doorway which if you remember is a found footage movie that was presented on film from like the 1970s uh in in, in, uh, in like a nunnery uh where some evil shit's going on but she's also the director of the short film childer which you can watch on youtube right now i think it's on alter really really good but uh, but eye exam it's like two and a half minutes oh super fun though to, to talk about it too much would we'll be spoiling it but it's twilight zone-esque oh yeah twilight zone meets comedy very very fun and quirky and strange yeah i think i think you guys will really really like that one but but like, like we said every single short that's playing at the festival is is great check it out on shutter uh you've got a month to do it all of the shorts collectively, if you just sat down and watched them all, are about the length of a film, and we highly recommend checking out all of them. But enough creepy news. Let's get into this week's episode. We're going to start with Tenebrae. Filthy, slimy. <laughs> I've read all your books, Mr. Neal. The book deals with a murder committed with an old-fashioned open razor, right? This girl, too, was killed with a razor, and your book's pages stuffed into her mouth. Can I ask you something? If someone is killed with a Smith & Wesson revolver, do you go and interview the president of Smith & Wesson? Peter, Peter, you can't let me down now. We're within two days of making a deal. Please, stay just until Friday. My life is in danger. There's no deal in the world worth risking my life for. Not anxiety or fear, but freedom. You wrote those words, page 46. Freedom to strike again, Peter. Listen, don't hang up. We have to talk. You told me how, Peter Neal. You and me together. We've just begun. You know, there's a sentence in a Conan Doyle book. When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Tenebrae from 1982 is currently sitting at a 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb, 76% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 3.7 out of 5 on Letterboxd. So you had the weird idea to do this pairing. Of, yeah. You were like, Valentine and Jallo. And I was like, yeah, I okay, fine. You know, this kind of worked out because... Of those little letters. That's it? That's the- From the killer. <laughs> okay. And also the axe to the back. There was a lot of axe to the back in both films. So yeah. uh, congratulations, John. Uh, an adequate pairing this turned out to be. It's not like I'm the first person to, to say this or anything. Like, I mean, horror history, like slashers come from Giallo's. And Valentine, Valentine, ooh, what an interesting movie. Because that's a slasher that has evolved from slashers already. 
Like this is almost a broken telephone episode where we're kind of like, here's the main vein. Like this is where these movies came from. Well, not even though because this is kind of late in the game. Like, That's true. This is a return to. It's very meta, which is fun. Yeah, it's late in the game. It's kind of meta. It's riffing on what a Giallo movie is supposed to be anyway. The killer's wearing gloves. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of. I mean, if you're Argento, that's about it, right? But I, I honestly think this is one of my favorite. Dario Argento movies. I kind of agree. Yes. Oh, I was. It was such a quiet screening last night. I was so worried. Um. Well, my fist bumped every single time there was uh any of the score. Oh well, yeah. Oh boy. It, so it, I'm gonna I'm gonna like lay a, lay the gauntlet here that this is my favorite Dario Argento score. Is that thanks to, I think, Goblin. Uh, or like these members of, members of, of Goblin, Goblin yeah. <laughs> that, that did that? Or is it thanks to Justice? It's, okay, both. Um, but yeah, best. And, and not even just Dario Argento film. I think it might be my favorite horror score of all time. It's really good. I listen to it all the time. It's really fucking good. I, I think I listened to it a lot because I was trying, I was like, I know this song, but I only watched this movie for the first time recently. Why is this song so familiar? It took me... So long to realize that Justice sampled it. Which is so weird because that's what I'm more familiar with because yeah. I, I knew this music going in because of Justice, but so little was done to it. <laughs> it basically, it's a, it's a straight copy and paste almost, right? Which is kind of fantastic because for when it came out, the score feels very modern. It's almost disco. It's almost techno. It's very funky. Love it. And super groovy and melodic and just, I don't know, it it doesn't go quite with murder, but it does. I, oh, man, I feel that way about a lot of it's Argento a scores. Deep Red especially. Ooh. And then you get into <laughs> Phenomena, which we've covered on the podcast before. It's like... 80s metal? Like, yeah, fuck it. Let's put in some, like, Metallica yeah, here. Like, but, why not? You know, it kind of goes with the gothic house in that. When when we were yeah. up in the rafters and we're just like, Whoa, and you're like, yeah! I don't know why, but yeah! <laughs> I can handle this. This is a stone-cold groove! <laughs> okay, so Tenebrae is a story about an author who wrote a book called Tenebrae. Uh, in which a person uh, commits a bunch of murders. I love fictional content, like universe content. Okay. Like Stab and Scream. Oh, sure. And Do You Read Sutter Kane and In the Mouth of Madness. <laughs> fucking Tenebrae in Tenebrae. The first kill is so fucking good. Oh, that is the main reason I think I hold this movie like high on my favorite Argento's list. Now, let's, I should probably say, I have not seen every Dario Argento movie. There is still a handful of films of his that I that I just haven't gotten to yet. Just watched Bird with the Crystal Plumage for the first time the other day. Yeah! Oh, boy, is that a good one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, of what I've seen, this is real high on the list, and I think it comes down to those murder set pieces. They're so, so good and brutal. But, damn, are they amazing. And, I mean, if you're, you know, like, ugh, you know, you've probably heard this a thousand times, but... You know, uh, you know, that's that's sort of what separated Giallo films from the sort of murder mysteries that came before it and what laid the groundwork for the American slasher. It's that the murder became a set piece. It became something that we actually spent time on and stylized and looked at very closely and ooh, to great effect. There's a lot of POV and a lot of stalking. Fuck yeah. And 
there's something really interesting about this because it's almost like a comment on the gratuitousness of itself. The, the fact that there's Tenebrae within Tenebrae. Yeah. I don't know. There's This film feels a little guilty almost. You can almost see um, the author or the director kind of exploring the fact that they've created this thing. You know what I mean? Like there's a little bit of Frankenstein meets Frankenstein's monster in this story. Sure. Which like I, it's hard because like these are just interpretations of of my my midnight watch. So yeah. like I don't know how correct they are, but that's kind of the vibe that I got was that there's this came kind of later in his in his career and after the the Giallo wave and to revisit it with this kind of meta story where you kind of have uh, spoiler alert, the killer changing halfway through and the motive at the end becomes almost motiveless. Like it's pretty cool. And I think the like when we we talk about Giallos, the movies that we're really talking about are like Argento's movies and and a few other guys. But it seems like he with Bird with the Crystal Plumage showed up and sort of changed the game or like laid the groundwork for like what these movies are supposed to be. I was thinking we could we could have actually paired those two together because they both have like um, American who has no business having this much information about the crime. <laughs> that is all of them, though, right? That's all. I think. I mean, hey, even look at Suspiria. She doesn't have too much knowledge of the crime or whatever, but she's an American who's come to an Italian yeah, dance game, but has no business being being told private yeah. information about the crime in an active investigation from the detective. Yeah, Burr with the Crystal Plumage and Tenebrae both, a hundred percent. Like they're just like, hey, guess what? You've been deputized. <laughs> like, you're one of us now. Come Here's some evidence photos. Scene, yeah. Active crime scene. The he does not bat an eye when the cops are already in his apartment when he gets to Italy, right? It's Which like, was really weird. Yeah, they're like, oh, by the way, here's your mail. It's in my pocket. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, what? Were you oh, and going I mean, to give this to me? It's from the killer, by the way. <laughs> You'll get more. Yeah, he says that to him. Like he's complete like he is aware of the subgenre that he's in. <laughs> like here's the first of what I assume will be many. It's just like so you're going to fail to catch this this killer before he kills again is, is what, that you're what you're saying. saying? <laughs> like you know his MO, but you're just you're just not going to do anything about it. Thanks, dude. <laughs> I love that you brought up the sort of meta ownership aspect of of like it, it really feels like the director talking about making a movie about violence in in some sort of like it's it's in conversation with its critics is mm-hmm. I, I guess is what I'm saying. I can never ever ever get that out of my head with these Argento movies because I know that he's the guy wearing the gloves. And if you don't know this, this is a real interesting detail in all of his movies, because the, like the killer, whether, you know, you maybe see it in POV through his eyes, but the most of what you ever see of them is just a, a black gloved hand. Mm-hmm. It's always Argento. So even if it's strangling a woman or or knocking out the glass of a light bulb with a razor blade. Oh, that was so good. Was so fucking it good. It was so smoky. I think about that fucking shot all the time. <laughs> it's Argento's hands. Like he's the one doing it. So for him to be the director and usually the writer and also the actual physical person on screen killing these women is real interesting. Yeah, and and maybe it's just because of the conversation we were having in our last episode kind of about the involvement of media and stuff. Yeah, My head's already maybe. kind of in that mode that 
it's really interesting that the weight of the crimes and the credit of the crimes were about to be taken away from the killer mm. and belonged to somebody who had appropriated them yeah. for convenience. And there's something really interesting about being a horror filmmaker and making these like killer films as entertainment, and they kind of take on a life of their own. Mm. So it's almost like they don't become your kills anymore. Man, we should have just paired this with, we should have just talked about New Nightmare again, right? Because it's like, it's like, it's Wes Craven's baby, but it's Freddy's, right? It belongs to Freddy. Which is so fucking good. Yeah, right? Oh, I, yeah, I hold a candle in my heart for any film that is able to do meta without doing it for the sake of like slapstick humor. I, I love a good parody, but real meta when you, when you're commenting on the medium you're creating in with the medium you're creating in. Yeah. It's just like, ooh, it's... It tickles your brain. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Now the, uh, the, it's uh, a soft lobotomy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the other thing, like, maybe we're just giving it too much credit. Like, it's it does seem, like, weirdly... Uh, specific that Argento wants to and insists on being the person with those gloves, but it could just be a matter of uh, of, of increasing the mystery, oh, right? Or because... just like, get out of here, you're not strangling correctly. <laughs> well, yeah, it could be that. It could be that, you know, the actor doesn't want to hurt the other person. He's like, let me fucking get in there. <laughs> but it's it's probably more or less just so that way the person committing the crimes on camera doesn't look like anybody we've seen on screen so you really have no idea who it is yeah that, <laughs> like that's, that's really probably the only and reason. that's smart because like kind of my go-to in any time we watch a slasher or anything is i look at the killer's shoes always look at the killer's shoes in the case of our second film the killer was wearing like a size 12 boot <laughs> who, who all in valentine is like size, size 12 boot tall <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> side question though have you seen duel uh, maybe not. No. Steven Spielberg movie. I think it was made for TV. Came out before Jaws. And it's just about a dude who I think cuts off a truck driver and then, oh, fuck you, buddy. Now you're dead. And the truck- So it's unhinged in ni- 1980 or- <laughs> Kinda. But here's the thing. You never see the truck driver. Ooh. You only see him once and you only see his boots. You'd love it. I like that. Yeah. No, you'd love it. It's like a giallo on the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the boots are the gloves. Gravel giallo. <laughs> the old dirt giallo. Yeah, of course. So there are two amazing kills in this movie. The rest are just, you know, kills. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. I bet you could name which ones I'm talking about. I'm talking about the book pages in the mouth. Oh, sh- oh, yeah, you've been a big fan of that one. <laughs> fucking fantastic. And the, the through the I'm putting on a shirt kill, which shouldn't be as good oh as it is. Oh, my <laughs> God. It's incredible. It's, it's so incredible. Like, so here's the thing. That whole sequence is incredible. I don't know where to start. <laughs> I don't know that I'll ever stop talking about it. Like, we, we, we come, first off, her roommate has a nipple out. The, enti- the entire time puts, she's on screen. She never puts that nipple away. No, even when the, they're at the, the nipple, bar. The nipple is out at the bar. They're at the bar and her nipple's out. <laughs> anyway. I so. think it was contracted yeah. that her nipple always be out. <laughs> anyway, so like when we're in that sequence, the two of them, their, their roommates, they they both get murdered in this, in, in this movie. And the camera work is fucking insane. I don't know how they did it. 
because it's not just like your standard old, we're gonna crane shot here from the window and come up to the second floor and over to the roof and over to the, the camera does stuff it just should not be able to it do. It just twirls around. Yeah, for 1982, there's no fucking way, like, it, 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 uh, I don't even know. It could have like it could have just been a bunch of scaffolds. Like, it could have just been dudes passing cameras up a scaffold for all I know. I, I don't care, they no did it idea. smoothly. It's hard to talk about on a podcast because it's a super visual thing where nothing really happens. The camera moves around the house. Oh, so fun. You get some close-up shots of some of some shingles and some, and some roof tiles. And then you like go into a window and come back out of a window. And everything about it's pretty great. But yeah, when she's she he like slashes at her with his with his razor blade while she's putting on her shirt, and it just sort of exposes her terrified face, and then blam, like blood hits her. It's so 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 good. Like, it's so, so, so it's very good. I don't know if you saw, it sold out very quickly, but when Waxwork released the soundtrack for this movie, that freeze frame of the, the shirt being torn and her scared face was the cover of the record. That's pretty great. You know, even a step better would have been t-shirt material over the... Ooh. With, it, with, a, with a slice on it, revealing like the record cardboard underneath. Yeah, that's good. That sequence has two great kills, though, right? Honestly, I'm going to count cutting, killing the light bulb as a kill because that Damn, is fucking right? so, maybe the best shot of the movie. Yeah, he's got a lot of great close-ups. It's weird to, it's weird to start complimenting the close-ups of the movie, but even just like a key dangling in a keyhole, which we do see a 18 lot. times. Quite a few times. Great every time. I think it's important. I still don't know. Close-up shots on just like the fucking, like the killer taking photos of the crime scene and just like the, yes. like the, the film canister turning. Like, from, really? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yep, it's good. I think we just like analog technology. Is that what it is? Yeah. It could be. And close-ups. And John Saxton, baby. We almost forgot. John Saxton's in this motherfucker. <sighs> you know, my only comment here is that I thought he was going to be the detective, and he ended up being the PR guy, which I guess is fine, because he gets to add some pizzazz and some flair, mm-hmm. but- he wasn't in it enough. Now, are you and are you basing that because you know him mostly as well? First off, he does play a detective in a lot of like <laughs> you were gonna shitty. Like, you know him mostly as Daddy. Well, yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah. As as the as the lead sheriff in in Nightmare on Elm Street, sure. <laughs> We we have some like vinegar syndrome you've never heard of them style movies where John Saxon does sort of play amateur sleuth, but I, I really think that, you thought he was the detective because he wore that hat. Yeah. He wore like a detective's fedora hat. <laughs> like I'm on vacation in Italy, but I'm he still gonna solve a crime. Dressed for crime. <laughs> yeah. You, I gotta assume that in all of the American trailers, he's front and center. Yeah. So not enough John Saxon. Well, there's plenty of John Saxon, and they give him a cool jacket and a great hat. You got everything you need, except, I guess, him taking his shirt off. Is that what no, no. <laughs> He's got to be pressed and starched at all times. It's really interesting that the killers are always the same in these Argento murder mystery movies. Because like, his supernatural stuff is a completely different arena of movie making, right? But... But all of these, like, a killer on the loose, detectives are after him, cat and mouse style stuff. I don't know. Like, they don't really have any character traits that are different from movie to movie. One thing I really enjoyed about this killer is 
it's less to do about the killer, more about the detective, because the detective is a fan of the Tenebrae author's work. It seems like he's the Stephen King of the time. And he's reading it at the time that we realize this killer's recreating which, Tenebrae, the novel. Which I love. And at one point when he finishes it and he commends the author and he's like, I knew who the killer was 30% of the way through and that, that never happens. Yeah. And he's solving a Tenebrae copycat crime. Yes. And has not yet caught the killer. Well, there, there's even a moment at the beginning, too, where he's reading the book. He's he, you know he's fresh on the case at the beginning of the movie. And he's he's like, fresh no on spoilers. reading this book. Yeah, don't don't spoil it. I haven't finished it yet. I haven't solved the case. Like, it's pretty it's pretty good stuff. <laughs> like you, know? you might need it to solve this crime. There's a fun switcheroo where you where you realize who the killer is early. Like we find his house and he's rich and he's well off. It turns out to be the TV presenter who was behaving erratically earlier. So we were who all was like, very oh into wow, the killer, yeah. Um, so the red herring guy is actually the killer. That's pretty cool. But that's a red herring. Well, at first we don't think he's the killer. There's some confusion because. By accident, uh, a girl stumbles into his basement. Because of the meanest dog ever, which is really interesting because Hound of the Baskervilles is uh, Talked about a lot in this. Yeah, referenced a lot in this. And there is a hound in this movie. <laughs> You you keep saying that there's like a like a switcheroo halfway through the movie, but like we don't know that the the TV presenter is the killer until close to the end of the movie. Yeah, we do though. No, we don't. Yeah, we do. No, we. So the don't. killer just hangs out in his basement and and has a photo lab down there. Maybe he was using the house because it was big, empty, and unoccupied. Okay, fine. But you're right. That is a little. Was a little much. I do love when the Rusty Griswold goes back to the <laughs> goes back to the scene of the crime, and then he revisits the memory, and he sees him whispering to himself. Like that's pretty fucking cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because although at that point, him... I was like, I'm glad we've confirmed that he was the killer. <laughs> well, I mean that that is uh, like when, when he watches him get killed, he thinks that the voice he's hearing is from the killer. Mm -hmm. The killer is talking to the TV presenter before he hits him with the axe. And, and murders him in front of him. And then later on, he's revisiting that memory, and he realizes that it was actually the TV presenter who was mouthing those words, saying, like, yes, I am the killer, I did it. You know, like the black gloves thing, something Argento loves to play around with, the idea that memory's fallible or, or that you re-remember things with more clarity. I'd say, like, half of his movies have characters going back on something. Oh, wait a minute. I thought I saw this, but it was actually this. Yeah, but that's also just good fucking cinema, John. I know it's good cinema. That's not why, <laughs> that's why I'm not here going like, this fucking guy's only got one move. It Memories works get every, worse the more you access them. It works every time. It's good <laughs> every time. Before we get to, like, the end of the movie, like, throughout, I know this was confusing you at first, we had these flashback memories of this girl on the beach. Yeah, these really, like, erotic dreams. Yeah! <laughs> now, they were coming in when characters were sleeping, so, like, they're presented, I think, as dreams. What I assumed they were was we were seeing visualized actual bits of the story. Oh, from Tenebrae. Yeah, I thought it was pages from Tenebrae being read to us, the audience. Okay. I think the first time we see it, you know, we've got like a shadow of the killer on the wall and he's like freaking out about something and there's a lot of close-up shots of the eyeballs. But like that weird group sex on the beach red shoe thing, like that felt very pulpy. It was dreamlike, I think, because it was presented in dream time. But yeah, I, th I definitely thought it was part of the book. But turns out it's somebody's memory from a traumatic event when they were younger. All these killers have traumatic events. Yes. 
because no sane person would commit murder, especially murder like this. Like that's that's kind of what they always end up coming down to. But is this, this person this, was crazy. Okay, so but so it turns out it's the author. Surprise, surprise. Fucking he's the Peter only. Neal. He's the only fucking character who's alive still. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. He by by process of elimination. Oh. <laughs> uh, we have deduced he's the killer. So he's also so he's got this traumatic backstory, but it's also just a revenge kill. His ex girlfriend is in Rome and gallivanting about privately, discreetly with, with his John Saxon. with his PR guy. Yeah, and so it's just a, it's just like he discovered who the killer was before the cops, which is you know it's his book. I guess that makes sense. And he's like fuck, I'm going to use this to my advantage and commit some murders. Well, it's because he's already committed murder before. In some of those flashback sequences, we see that someone killed that girl on the beach. And, you know, we, we later realize that it was Peter Neal. So in the beginning of Tenebrae, like the opening pages, it talks about how this person committed the ultimate taboo and he committed a homicide and just like eradicated a life. And now anything was possible. Like anything that stood in his way could be swept aside very easily and with, without much thought or concern for, you know, killing a person. Like, mm-hmm. once you do it once, the rest of them are all easy is kind of the idea. And, like, there's a bit of a thrill to it. And so Peter Neal has already committed that taboo. Committed? Is murder a taboo? I think taboo is a very light way of describing it. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, in a way. <laughs> I guess society is against it. <laughs> <laughs> we, very much so. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, since he's already done it once and now I think that's why he doesn't tell the cops that he knows who the killer is, right? Because he admires him in a small way, but he also sees the opportunity to be able to kill the real killer, take the identity of a ki- of the killer and commit revenge. Yeah. Kill John Saxon, kill his ex-girlfriend. But I mean, that's actually a really, if you want to be a murderer, you just have to solve another murderer, like another set of mass murders before the cops do. And then you can kind of murder whoever you want that's the within that killer's M.O. And But he doesn't, is but the I, thing. <laughs> I know, but the, the, the evidence before will discredit you from future murders. Like, it's there's something really fucking twisted in that. Oh, yeah. Super twisted. I am surprised there aren't more movies where the killer changes halfway through in that regard. Because in terms of the audience's sake, if your main characters have alibis for the first half of the film, I guess in, I guess you could have two killers, which kind of is the same. Whatever. It, it's good. <laughs> it's fucking cool. It's really good. Yeah, I like it a lot, and like, and it, like the the Sherlock Holmes stuff didn't, doesn't stop throughout this movie too, right? The idea that like once you eliminate uh, the impossible, the improbable, no matter how crazy it seems, must be the truth, mm-hmm. which is very true for him because it was impossible for him to have committed the very first murder. We know that for certain. Mm-hmm. He was on a plane at the time. And it's improbable that he would be the killer of these other murders, but he totally fucking is, and the cops figure it out. Of course, he accidentally... Uh, but he gets an axe to the back. <laughs> he does accidentally kill a, a cop, yeah. I love when he thinks he's... Uh, we think that the author has killed himself. Uh, straight razor the throat. So good! Uh, we're, in, we're in the cop car. We've called for backup or whatever. Um <laughs> And the detective is like, hang on a minute. I think he's going to get no, up in there's, there. there's not even any of that. He's just like, you know what? Give me a second. I'll be right back. I just want to go walk around yeah, inside for no reason. He did a total hunch face. Like He was like, something's awry. 
He was right, though. He was right. Totally right. He had that cop punch. Uh, we have not talked about the... The other kill you want to talk about? <laughs> well, no. So I did say that there were two. I lied. There are more kills. All oh, the kills are good. They're so good. The ex-girlfriend from Rome. I can't remember her name. Her kill is pretty good because she turns to the wall and there's like a really exquisite blood splatter. Yeah, there is. Uh, like a blood waterfall. Oh, it's it's pretty great. Um, and the camera work in the finale is really great. The camera's really quirky in following the killer and like hiding behind doors and stuff. Yeah. In a way. And turning the light off just in like the right amount of time yeah. before somebody else comes to the it's door. It's really wonderful. <laughs> Fan-fucking-tastic. <laughs> I like this movie a lot like this movie a lot, a lot. I'm glad you did too, which is why I need to know your rating of Tenebrae. We didn't even talk about John Saxon's death, though. Yeah, he gets stabbed in the middle of the In scene. the middle of the day. Oh, sinister. You know, there's a lot of stalking and there's a lot of killer POV and stuff. The scariest tension-building moments for me are when he's waiting to meet his mistress and we're just eavesdropping in on a bunch of different lives mm. we see a couple breaking up we see a fight break out at the restaurant oh yeah there's a kid playing with a you, ball you know something's gonna happen yeah it's just subtle stuff at first it's like oh life without a cell phone but <laughs> but it's the tense it's scary it's he's in the middle of a park and he's completely vulnerable and distracted not the feeling you should have out in the open in the middle of the afternoon it's a lovely day yeah it, it, it's a really wonderful sequence that's that's all I wanted to bring up before ratings. I'm so sorry I derailed. You know, uh, you know what? There's uh, there's the, the problem is there are plenty of great little shots throughout the whole movie, and and one that I forgot about was that girl who was murdered and just like her body was left on the lawn, and the lawnmower found her. <gasps> the mower. Yeah, like the POV uh, mower POV. Ugh. Just touring around the lawn, eating up grass, moving past homicide photos. Yeah, that, well, that's got to be. It had to have been the killer, obviously. Because of how inconsequential those those very oh, uh, revelatory them. pieces of evidence were. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Okay. And that's something so wonderful. Like, there's a weird blend because you realize, like, oh, yeah, this is an affluent man who's committing these crimes. So what's your rating of Tenebrae? Uh, I'm going to give it a three and a half out of four. Yeah, I'm, I'm also here for a three and a half out of four. It, I love uh, this movie. It, a point five bump if John Saxon had survived a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> if John Saxon could, was just in on the case for a little bit. He should have been the protege detective, I'm just saying. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Moving on, we're going to talk about a modern giallo. Really, it's just a slasher movie made in America, 2001. We're talking about letters from another killer. We're talking about Valentine. He loves me. Spend this Valentine's Day. He loves me not. 
With someone you love. He loves me. Someone you trust. He loves me not. And someone you know. He loves me. Won't try to kill you. Will you dance with me? Dance with me? Dance with me? Dance with me? Remember the kid everybody ignored on Valentine's Day? Loser. Well, he remembers you. God, we were so horrible to that kid. What do you think happened to him? From 2001, the Cinema Verite classic. Cinema Verite. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> uh, Valentine from 2001, currently sitting at a 4.8 out of 10 on IMDb, 12% on Rotten Tomatoes, 18% Metacritic rating, and a 2.5 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Seriously, John, what is Cinema Verite? <laughs> <laughs> you're you're almost a big fan of Cinema Verite. <laughs> like the argument could be made that found footage is Cinema Verite on 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 methamphetamines. Like it, the idea, I think, because I'm not a hundred percent, is that it's like fly on the wall cinema. You are just your mumblecore is 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 another sort of offshoot of that. Cinema Verite is like a seventies thing where it's like it looks like it it could be a documentary, but it is fiction. Oh, John Cassavetes was big on it. He's he plays Guy in Rosemary's Baby. He was a huge director, and and a lot of his movies were Cinema Verite, which is like mumblecore before mumblecore. Oh, it really just means like a style of documentary filmmaking. Isn't it fiction though? I thought it was fiction. Uh, so like Grey Gardens. Oh my god, there's a weird Venn diagram. Direct cinema, observational cinema. My phone died. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yep. All right, so uh, not Valentine. <laughs> not Valentine whatsoever. <laughs> Dang, not Valentine. I just wanted to do a warm welcome to this much beloved. Oh yeah, who doesn't like Valentine? On a grand, grand, grand scale. If it wasn't good, Shout Factory wouldn't have put out this dope release that we <laughs> bought immediately. Yeah, you know, we're kind of in the in that uh I guess cyclical cycle. <laughs> uh-huh. Where the 2000s Dark Castle-esque movies are starting to have their day. Hell yeah. People are being like, "Yeah, the 13 Ghost remake was great." We like these movies, and whether or not you think they're good, they're good. Yeah, like you have to shake your head and nod at the same time when you're saying like they're good <laughs> yeah there's a lot of that so i mean like the the rose colored glasses talk from the previous episode regarding bride of chucky is a hundred percent in effect here for valentine oh if you don't have your rose colored glasses i have on. the like floral instagram filter on it, oh. everybody's wearing a flower crown sure there's butterflies from nowhere uh yeah i'm vibing with this i'm vibing so hard with this Regardless of what you think of the early 2000s sort of slasher fare, 
the opening of this movie's good. Okay, well, the, the no, not not the not the opening opening. That whole opening where they're in like grade eight, I guess. Is that what it is? Grade eight? Yeah, it's like middle school. Okay, they're they're at a dance. It's the elementary school version of prom. Stakes are high. Emotions are. It's a, just a the flame. Valentine's dance, John. Oh right, it's Val. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the that's that's the movie. That's what we're watching. So. That whole sequence was definitely supposed to play out like a whole scene. And instead, somebody, probably a producer, was like, you know what? We're going to we're gonna chop this up, add some yearbooky stuff on I it. I dig a good yearbook. <laughs> I like it when they take useless stuff and turn it into a montage. That's always nice. Hell, they Rob were... Zombie did it in Devil's Rejects a thousand times, and it always worked. They were even rushing through when there weren't things to cut away to. Like, yeah. we were just cutting, like, we were fading to black and fading back in, and we were 15 seconds ahead. And it, yeah, <laughs> or, or or it's, like, people who are walking, and they're just like, fuck it, they're over here now. Like, they're just like, we don't need to see them walk everywhere. It's Let's no big cut deal. this shit down. We don't need this. I will also say that this kid at the beginning of the movie, you know, regardless of who the killer is, because we know he's somewhere in there. We even see the mask. Maybe it's him. Uh, he gets off pretty okay compared to other slashes. He got grade school carried. It was. It was. Did he? Yeah. Well, he got I, he got a little beat up. I'm thinking like no, all of the gra- slasher he, counterparts where the nerd gets like hideously maimed chemical burns on his face and he's hidden away for 20 years until he's old enough to I'm get I'm agreeing revenge. with you and the evidence is that they grade school carried him they they poured red punch over his head it oh, wasn't blood right. it was just punch they did do that yeah and then they just kicked him a few times I mean that sucks no, that don't get me suck. wrong yeah it's I guess a really mildly traumatic event in the <laughs> yes. grand scheme of things. Yeah, it's it's nothing in comparison to the the to, to any other slasher movie you put on. Uh, I'm thinking mostly of of Slaughter High. I think that's the one that immediately comes to mind. But regardless, the sequence with Katherine Heigl after her shitty first date with Jason. <laughs> Jason does not like this date. Jason is not paying for your half of the bill. Uh, I like it. I really, really like it. I think it's really good, even if it's kind of funny. <laughs> the music is really weird. I'm more of a visual person than an auditory person, mm-hmm. and I found myself really distracted by the horror stings in the morgue. There's a lot of them. It was it was pretty cinematically scored in the morgue scenario. <laughs> It was very stingy. Here's the best part, though. So Catherine Heigl, after a bad date, is going back to the morgue for some late-night autopsy research. As you do. she had, I think she had a final the next day. I love that. I, <laughs> I, I would like to see more movies where people have bad dates and take it out on corpses. More midnight morgues. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with it. Give me some after-hours shit. Uh, and then and so she hears a noise. And she's distracted. And when she comes back, right before she can cut into the corpse that she's covered the face of because it grosses her out, it breathes! Rad. I don't care. I don't care. (laughs) I love it. Doesn't matter that this corpse is very clearly, like, flesh, living flesh-colored now. I also love it because the killer, like, came into the room as she was off at her locker or whatever, and he's like, what? What's the best reveal I can do here? And he's like, Billy's out! Yeah. (laughs) We saw the killer's belly button. 
how can how often can you say that's the first thing of the killer you've seen? Yeah, and but immediately puts that mask right back on. How do you feel about that mask, that Cupid mask? I like it. I like it too. I'm very pro Cupid. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually thinking if we did a head-to-head, just in terms of killer silhouettes and mask quality, I would have a hard time deciding between Valentine and the babyface killer in Happy Death Day. Ooh. Very similar, very similar kind of like... Cherub, cheeky, yeah. rosy cheek thing. I honestly, I think I like the Valentine mask a little better. I think the, the Cupid wins out a little bit. Oh, it's hard to say. Hard to say. Yeah, the Cuban mask's great, though. I like it. Especially with a little nosebleed, which is a weird touch. Yeah, and the little lips on it, when the blood goes on the little cherub lips, you're like, just twisted. Nosebleed, though. It's just, it's an odd touch. I guess we did see that that kid had a nosebleed in the cold open. Yeah, there's there's no confusing. We... The killer leaves Valentine's. He signs them JM. None of the characters think it's the nerd that they shamed at the Valentine's Day dance, but it's a Valentine's Day killer. Valentine's Day cards. He's signing them JM, the initial of that character, Jeremy Melton. Yep. And they're like, no, can't be him. But the audience is all like, yeah, so it's this nerd. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah, obviously. I mean, I could totally understand how they would blow that aside. Be like, that was grade eight. Who, what? Wait, no. wasn't that Valentine's Day? There's oh my God, too many coincidences. 13 years ago tonight. <laughs> That's another thing that really bothers me about this movie. There's no justification, no concrete justification for why this Valentine's Day. Why not the Valentine's Day that came immediately previous to this one? Okay, I have maybe an answer for that, but we should save it until we get to the end when okay. the killer is revealed. Okay. I'm glad you mentioned the cards. That's definitely the biggest connective tissue. Yeah, okay, the fact that I, I, I think I laid some groundwork for <laughs> slashers and giallos in the previous segment, but cards from the killer is really what we're focusing on here. I love a classic, new, like, letters from a newspaper, magazine letter. That's Yeah, good. the ransom note. You can't go wrong. Oh, it's time-honored tradition. <laughs> Timeless. Never never out of style. Just put the odd R backwards. Right? Classic. Yeah. It's classic. We didn't even talk about the fact that that killer in Tenebrae just had a bowl of letters that he kept cutting Smart. out of stuff. He's I planning suppose, ahead. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's obviously, he's got a lot of letters to send. There's Scrabble no end ready. in sight. Scrabble ready. Yeah. Uh, this killer, though? Really up in the game. Like, just blowing the whole... dude from Tenebrae out the oh, fucking Oh, yeah. Water. A whole printing house at yeah. his beck and call. Interactive cards. Yeah. He's got pulleys and, and systems. You really think he got those printed out? You don't think he made them himself? He did not make those himself. Those were professionally printed. I think some of them were, like, embossed. Okay. That's definitely... There's a cottage industry for that now. Unless for he... sure. But 2001... You don't think that would raise some fucking alarm bells? Like, hey, so I need to make some highly specific murder Valentine cards. You just say it's for a movie. Well, now you're on to something. Yep. Okay. How many killers have gotten away with shit because they said it was for a movie? Lots. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's not a good thing. Okay. Something about that made me feel real Hence bad. why Dario Argento's commentary Ooh. in the previous conversation. <laughs> Very good point. Here we are. Movies don't make psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. That was a really bad impression, but the, the, the sentiment still stands. Yeah, I mean, ties back to our Bride of Chucky talk as well. You got to get more creative. And, of course, it's like unofficial Katherine Heigl month. <laughs> I know. Holy shit. Yeah, that was totally an accident. Yeah, she got uh, she, she got, ooh, she got taken out real quick at the beginning of this movie. I bet yeah, I was she surprised. Got, she's, she's the John Saxon of this movie. <laughs> I bet she was all over the trailer. 
Yeah, tr- true. Was she a household name in 2001? No. Oh, of course not. She was in horror movies. That's how you know. <laughs> Rude. So in traditional slasher fashion, this Everybody's is- Everybody's a jerk. Is that what you're about to say? <laughs> well, that's a good point. But in it, it's 2000. We're kind of, you know, hip to the jive of the slasher formula, the whodunit. So there's a lot of really funny red herring characters in this. One of my favorite being our main character, Kate, her- rhyming couplet neighbor <laughs> yeah so that did that went way over my head i'm like why the fuck is this guy rhyming i didn't i've seen this film maybe 10 times and this was the first time i was like oh they're trying to set it up because he likes rhyming he may have done the valentine's day cards that rhyme yeah uh but the problem is that it's like roses are red violets are blue i'm a three-year-old and i know how to like i know how to rhyme just yeah, like so you every every child does this. he's doing He's doing couplets, whereas the Valentine's Day card is the traditional one, two, one, two. They also set up, uh, I think his name is Max, the artist who they do not hesitate to say is bad at every opportunity. Everybody (laughs) hates his art. Everyone hates his art. And he obviously got a lot of money to put it together. Yeah, that was a legit show. And it did suck. (laughs) Art is objectionable. (laughs) What was the goal of it? I don't know. I love, love he's like <laughs> men men go I've created this maze and it's just a bunch of videos and photos and men go in one side, women go in the other. They never finished the maze though, John. They were going on their ultimate date fantasy date. Wasn't that the idea? Like wasn't they aren't they supposed to come out of the maze and like find their valentine or was something? Was that the point? I don't know if the point was ever explained. It seems like it's one of those things where, like, Darren, like if Darren Brown put that together, you'd think, okay, a bunch of strangers are going to go into this maze. They're all going to look at these So images. many subliminal messages. Yeah, and then you're going to come out and be- Resulting in, gonna, in love. love. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, love at first sight. And it's just like, holy shit, Darren Brown, you've done it again. <laughs> but it's nothing On like Netflix, that here. On Netflix this February. Yeah, nothing like that here. No. And I have no idea what the purpose of it is. And the only thing that sets him up as the killer is he's just kind of a pretentious dick. Well, he's also, uh, he knows his way around the maze, I guess, because <laughs> he, he made it. He did make the maze. <laughs> I'm surprised this is the only kill in the movie with a bow and arrow, right? It's pretty smart in this in this instance because it's fucking silent. And, and oh, I, good point. I assume there are more people in the maze still. We don't see them at all. But oh, yeah. A daring murder. He he learns the killer learns how to uh, rejig the maze though, so she's blocked off, and I I am assuming a dead end segment. Oh, good point. Yeah. And uh, he had to have brought a duffel bag. And then turning off TVs really st- strategically. Now a lot of these kills seem like they are kind of lucked into, like we luck into locations, particularly Denise Richards' kill, which we'll get into it, just by happenstance on where the characters end up being. But this kill requires a lot of setup. <laughs> Wow, I'm just okay. So, I two questions. One, does anybody ever find what's her face's body? What's her name? Like Lily? The girl who gets killed in the maze. She's just in a dumpster. No, they just assume she's gone on on the trip she was supposed to go on. Oh yeah, right. She's supposed to go to L.A., but then they never get a call from her, so she's maybe in danger. On top of that, also, does anybody ever find the creepy neighbor who's murdered in Kate's apartment, like bludgeoned to death with an iron? Yeah, I don't it's a know. horrible way to go. <laughs> uh, no one, I don't think anybody finds any of the bodies in this movie until, except one body at the end of the movie, right? Well, they they find Catherine Heigl's body because they have. The they funeral. do go to the funeral. <laughs> they have that one horror movie funeral. Every every horror movie gets one. Everybody's gonna die. We do not go to seven funerals. <laughs> 
But any, does anybody else get found? I, I, I think these are just like unaccounted for bodies. Well, there's a big ah sequence in the finale when oh, when she, Kate's running around and she, she happens upon every room with a corpse in it. She finds a lot of bodies. She right. realizes she's in the clue house. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's good stuff. Like with with Kate too. It's probably worth mentioning that she's got a boyfriend who's I think not finding one his of... love at the bottom of a bottle. Oh yeah, they're a tumultuous relationship. He's right in now. love with the drink. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still in love with him. And I think he's the only one that's not stupid rich in this movie. You're only saying that because his shirts are shabby. His shirts are shabby, like it's, very. Shabby. It was just the style at the time. Yeah. Big and Tall was not properly invested in at the time. There was not a lot of Big and Tall options. You think David Boreanaz is Big and Tall? He's Big and Tall! Is he? Yeah! Okay. You just don't think so because they were in a mansion so much. Okay. <laughs> I'm. Lo- oh, my phone's dead. Can you please look up how tall David Boreanaz is? Okay. If you think that's going to be on his letterboxed bio, let's find out. I'm sure you could Google David it. David Boreanaz, star of a, uh, Angel and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Holy shit, it has his height. <laughs> <laughs> Can like I guess? Act- yeah, sure. I'm going to say 6'3". He is uh, 1.85 meters. Which is? 6'1". He's 6'1". Oh. He's one inch taller than like most dudes, I guess. That's not that tall. I think that's fairly tall for movie stars. That's true. Movie yeah. people are really short. He's ta- he towers over He's Tom Cruise. He's two Tom Cruises yeah. tall. That's, I would be saying that to myself all the time. Like, I'd be a huge star, but I would outshine Tom Cruise, so they keep me in the back. Who's killed next? Campbell, the the shitty boyfriend of Dorothy. Oh fuck, I forgot about very Campbell. Definitely a con artist. Okay, so his name is said more times in this movie than anybody. Yeah, I don't understand it. We had to look up character names. His was the only one I recalled, just because Dorothy says it so many fucking times. Also, I was surprised to find out that it wasn't his last name, and everybody. It's was not just, his last. No, name? that's his first name. <laughs> his first name is Campbell. Campbell Campbellson. She's like really obsessed with him, and I, I'm sure that's because they they kind of want to allude to the fact that she could be the killer because she's so obsessed with finding love. Oh, you think she's really crazy about Valentine's Day? Is that it? Yeah, I don't. But if you're going based on the incident, she is the one that instigates it. Like she's the the cause of the incident in the opening montage. So. I don't know. I never really quite buy her as the killer. You're right. No, neither do I. The only thing could be like, yeah, I just love Valentine's Day so much and and I was a little chubby and nobody liked me. But I had a really good group of girlfriends who I'm still friends with to this day. I think her big thing is just she's got this chip on her shoulder about everything stemming from the fact that she was fat and and if she kind of like she has Campbell she's the only one with a boyfriend right she did like a spice girl breakdown of what all the girls represent and she's oh, like and yeah. i'm the fat one in her huge McMahon. huge mansion. why aren't like, you the rich you one you are the rich one like holy <laughs> shit you're the you're the like giving out rolexes for no fucking reason on valentine's yeah, day letting, one letting your yoga acquaintance stay at your house and calling him your boyfriend yeah you're about to be the bankrupt one though like if if it wasn't for this killer, he'd be cleaning out the account. Yeah, he is, apart from the murderer, he is the biggest douche of the film. Yeah, he's enemy number two. <laughs> you pointed out something very interesting, though, this time around, because she sends him down to turn the pilot light on for the water heater. 
which is how he gets separated uh, and, and, and isolated in the basement of the house. And that's where the killer gets him. Uh, and it, the killer's got an axe. Oh, takes him out real quick. Big old axe in the back. But there's a pile of wood behind that's him. That's where he gets the axe. That's what I'm saying. That's where the axe comes from because somebody's been chopping wood in the basement of the house. I can understand like the convenience. You know how some houses, they put the laundry room upstairs where the bedrooms are and you're like, why haven't we been doing this forever? That's oh, so God, smart. I, I want a fucking laundry room right beside my bedroom. Uh, I never want to, I, I just want to take a shirt out of the dryer, put it on a hook, <laughs> hang it up and then that's just where it stays. Yeah, why, is, why aren't, clo- don't closets just have washer and dryers in them? Oh, I guess I know, that's I a know. rich people thing. I was going to say it's because we're not rich. <laughs> rich people probably have that. Yeah, when I was a kid, the washer and dryer was in like the scary unfinished room of our basement. Oh, yeah, it was. And it was like home alone scary. Like I did not want to be in there. Like, you had to go into the room and pull the light cord. Oh, that's always a bad one. Oh. You got to walk halfway in. <laughs> in through the dark. because it's like the unfinished section of the house, it's got a door closer on it because it's a fucking fire hazard. Yeah. So now you're just like, <laughs> if I don't get to this goddamn light switch fast enough, I'm dead. And the, the whole basement like sloped into the middle of the room because yeah. there was a drain there yeah, for all the blood to go down oh god <laughs> that's what that's what the low middle class is like guys yeah <laughs> uh, um the, the the funny part about that too is that the floor is always because it slopes into the center is uneven which means the laundry machine bounces around a lot in the middle of the night and you're like there's fucking monsters in the goddamn there's someone in the house <laughs> Uh, what were we talking about? Why were we talking about laundry? Oh, cutting wood in the house. Yes. Yeah, it, convenient, I understand, because the, the heater is right there, but very absurd. It also, I, I, I assume that the, the power tool closet is close to the hot tub. For convenience? For convenience. I bring that up because in the middle of the party, Denise Richards just leaves. And they say this is a move of hers. Like, oh, at these parties, she always wanders off. She and just does Winds that. up in the hot tub by herself. Their relationship with Denise Richards, Paige, it's so weird because Denise Richards is the sexy one, as as Dorothy tells us. And, she, and she's gorgeous. She's stunning. She's at the top of her game. But she's the, Denise Richards. The film has no idea what to do with her. She plays every scene very serious and like just one note. She takes no pleasure or there's no irony to anything. And they keep putting her in these situations where she gets to um, emasculate men who sexually advance upon her. Most times wrongly so, like the detective. But she doesn't take any joy in it. Like there's no there's no pleasure in it. It is pretty funny when she pours the hot wax on his dick though. It's no, funny. it's a great sequence <laughs> and she and, and her delivery on like you showed me you came you brought me up here to show me your dick. Like it was pretty good. But again, there's no joy behind her eyes. Yeah. Maybe she just hated being there. And yeah, like, I just whatever. I just love her so much and I don't know, I just think either the film didn't know what to do with this drop dead gorgeous person or she she just wasn't into the character. And they're so mean to her. Like, all of her friends are, like, slut-shaming her the whole movie. How do you feel about her death? Oh, it's the greatest death. <laughs> it's the most wonderful death in the franchise. I... In the single film. <laughs> okay. I guess you could still call it a franchise. It's still technically, you know, it's a franchise of film. <laughs> it's a franchise of film. Uh, yeah, it's funny to me. Like, he locks... So he locks her in the in the hot tub. Which is cool. And then he starts, like, putting a drill through the, the hot tub cover. Fun stuff. It's good. He nicks her at one point, so there's blood everywhere. And then he, at some point he gets bored. <laughs> <laughs> he gets her once, and then he's like, eh. Yeah. yeah just, eh, he just tosses the drill into the hot tub. Which is crazy, because he lets her walk around that whole room being like, who's here? 
who's in here? Who's here? For at least twice the length of the kill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish there were more kills like that in this movie. Some of the kills are random, though, because he, he obviously this is a revenge kill. There's like these five, six girls that said no to him at the dance, so he's got he's to gotta kill them because he's got a bruised ego. But he also just kills people for the sake of, like, they're alone and he's there. He kills Campbell. He kills Campbell's weird ex with the- Who the, shows like, up at a Valentine's Country party. club money. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he kills the neighbor. He kills the maid at some point. We don't see it, but she's dead. I don't even. I completely missed that. I think she, I think uh, we just see her body at some point when uh, when the, the the country couple woman is running away. Her death's not bad either. She gets I she was... gets her head jammed down onto that broken uh, that broken glass door. I was gonna say though, anybody at this party, if they had to go use the upstairs bathroom by themselves, dead. There's just a pile of dead party guests upstairs. Yeah, I think this is why characters in movies are always rich because there's space to spread out to murder. <laughs> yeah, got plenty of murder room. Yeah, if you had done this at any of the house parties I attended to be like, hey, I think something's happening in the only other room in this house. <laughs> Some point, detective's been murdered. Well, we, yeah, yeah. we find his head in a pond. Why does With the, the IOU. Ooh, we didn't even mention that. <laughs> I think that's probably like the giallo moment of the film. Finding the IOU. The floating IOU. IOU, TLC, here's a fucking head. It's good stuff. I can't, I, obviously the detective never called in backup. And again, like Tenebrae, he, you guys are part of the case now. Yeah, he's calling he, them with updates. Yeah, he's like, hey, just want to let you know, we arrested this guy, no leads right now, but we're talking to him. It's like, they don't need to know that. They definitely, they don't need to know that at all. They don't care. They just want to, they just want you to call and say, everything's cool, we got him. And, and you're not even going to get that phone call probably. No, and especially since we've kind of isolated that this grade school in Valentine's Day incident is maybe the motive for the crime. So why are there not cops just parked outside this huge party, this huge Valentine's yeah. Day rager? Where they are. During yeah. this Valentine's Day crime spree. Yeah, it, it seems like it's it's pulling itself a little bit from the Black Christmas playbook without actually doing any of the things that detectives do in Black Christmas. They're just like, we just need a cop. We just need a cop. I don't know why he doesn't call backup, because he's very worried. He put, he, he obviously puts the siren on. Yeah, he puts on the over. lights. He wants to be the guy who saves the day. And then so he can look over at Denise Richards and give her a wink and be like, <laughs> so you want to reconsider that, uh, that sexual assault that I did earlier? <laughs> Oh. Yeah. Uh, Kate starts, you know, as the party starts to file out, why does the party empty out? The power goes out. They right. lose They lose their new metal. They lose their new. Yeah. Who's listening? <laughs> what, what group of millionaire children are listening to Disturbed on Valentine's Day? Denise Richards. <laughs> yeah. So the power goes out because he kills Denise Richards with a drill that I swear was battery operated. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's leaving. Kate's left alone with Dorothy. Dorothy's getting real, real catty about everything suddenly. And and Kate starts to stumble on dead bodies after finding after finding David Borealis drunk somewhere. Borealis? <laughs> Borealis. <laughs> yeah, you know, like if you drive far uh, enough north. To, yeah. If you look to the left, there's the Ursa Major. And to the right, it's the killer in Valentine. <laughs> yeah, David Borealis. That uh, that 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 that. Uh, Two stars still morning. <laughs> I was gonna say that he was a naturally occurring phenomenon. <laughs> oh boy. <sighs> After Kate finds the the head of the detective, she starts running around like 
like Popeye's girlfriend with her hands in the air, just like stumbling from body to body to body. Nobody else in this party has ever come across any she of these She gets a gun. People. She doesn't turn she, the safety off, but she no? gets it. Yeah, that's true. She does get that. At this point, she thinks that her boyfriend. Yeah, because he starts talking really ominously. Yeah, he's like, yeah, everybody could fucking die as far as I care, as long as you're left alive. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like that kind of weird drunk talk. <laughs> you're like, I think I should back out of the room Dance and never with see me, you again. Kate. <laughs> Dance with Dance me. with me. And she's like, people are dead. And he's like, dance. <laughs> but uh, but you, the new metal is gone. Yeah, so she's knocked him out. She's running away from him. The killer is around. And uh, they fight. They fall down the stairs. Before before the killer can get up and attack Kate, David Borealis grabs the gun <laughs> and shoots the killer dead. David Boreanaz takes the safety off. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, we pull the mask off to reveal that it was Dorothy. Oh, my God. It makes so much sense now. <laughs> but it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't at all. It doesn't make any sense why she would And be then the one, two, switcheroo, David Boreanaz's nose bleeds. Because <gasps> he's been the cherub all along. And that's really just, like, they, they explain away the fact that he was, like, skinny and nerdy. And they're like, plastic surgery does wonders. <laughs> yeah, he had you know, some plastic surgery, maybe, so, you know, started work, lifting weights and whatnot. New person. Okay, so we know the killer now. Explain yeah. to me why this Valentine's Day. I think it's because she broke up with him. And I think he's maybe saying that like she loves him, but her friends are influencing her decision or something. So he was perfectly him. cool to just be secret Jeremy Melton? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Like, I think that was just like a secret that he was keeping. And like maybe the drinking is 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 maybe that's why he drinks because he's essentially lying about who he is. Mm. And there's a fear that he might lose Kate. I have no fucking idea. Probably not. But just judging on how these these girls treat serious relationships, maybe they have just met. Maybe she doesn't know him that well. Oh, that's a good point. Maybe they've only been dating for like three months and she was like, yeah, he drinks too much and she broke up with him and he won't go away. They seem like they're on again, off again. Yeah, they, like they, they, they feel, feel like they like have years. history. Which is crazy because it's only been 13 years since elementary school. <laughs> and oh, but he got shipped away to a boarding school because somebody beat him up. And then- <laughs> And then he went into in like an inpatient inpatient mental health facility. Like this guy has had a rough thirteen years and enough time to it. change his identity. Yeah, change his identity, get plastic surgery. You know, just tack that onto your student debt. No big deal. You can get, unless, of course, like if everybody you don't else, go to he's super rich. <laughs> oh yeah, because he's a journalist, right? That's the other thing. I like, didn't know what his job. He's was. a writer, so that's why he drinks. Uh, and he's got bad shirts. That's that's it. <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe he was killing them all so that way she would have nobody but him. Maybe. Sounds like love. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) True love if I've ever heard it. It doesn't hold up. No. I mean, that could just as easily be wrong. I have no fucking idea, man. This movie's interesting. (laughs) But it's a time capsule. (laughs) <laughs> like in spite of all of these things, yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's of that era where we have music videos for horror movies. Love that shit. Love that shit a lot. That is essentially our sweet spot. Like if they made a music video for the horror movie, thank you, please much. <laughs> Was there anything else we missed? That you wanted to talk about Valentine before uh, we got to ratings. I did just want to side mention that there was like a weird Minute Maid product placement, like throughout the film. A lot of orange juice. And same with I didn't want to like bring this up that this is also a thematic tie, but there was a lot of orange juice 
in Tenebrae as well. Are you just bringing that up because the glasses were weird and you were staring at the glasses? There was also a lot of orange juice. Was there a lot of orange juice? There's just a lot of orange juice in both of these films. All right. What a silly, silly movie. Yeah, so I'm not going to think about it too much, and I'm just going to go three out of four with my rating. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not think about it much either, because eh, that's just not how I want to live my life. <laughs> and, and give it a two and a half out of four. I like it. It's fun. And it kind of scares me a bit to think that my 2.5 out of 4 is my rose-colored glasses rating. Like, how bad is this movie for somebody who's never seen it before? Like, if you're 20 and you're just discovering Valentine now, in 2021, I bet, ooh, that's that's going to be weird. But I think... I'd still recommend it. Like that's the fuck. That's the <laughs> fucked up part. Like I'm like, yeah, you know, two out I got, of ten. Yeah. Watch it a lot. <laughs> two out of ten. Watch it a lot. Watch it every February until you die. And then also in June. <laughs> yeah, good point. We are coming up on summer now. But that's just our opinion. Let us know what you thought of Tenebrae and Valentine over on Twitter at NOFS Podcast. You can find us in our Discord server. It's a super fun space where we chat about uh, the podcast and movies and everything under the sun. Uh, That's at nofspodcast.com slash discord. If you like this episode, please subscribe. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the horde. Introduce a friend of yours who also likes horror movies to the podcast. You can support the show for as little as zero dollars by just telling somebody else about it. We've got bonus content in the Fiend Club at nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub. Bonus episodes, merch discounts. We've You've got a private channel in the Discord with the rest of the Fiends, and we have watch parties every month. Uh, we recently watched all three Blair Witch movies. We also did a, a watch party where we watched like seven hours of Cop Rock. It was which, a lot of hours of Cop Rock. It was a lot. If you've never heard of Cop Rock, you gotta check it out. It's really bizarre. Um, it got really dark. Yeah, somebody sold their baby for $200. That wasn't even the dark part. <laughs> Uh, but yes, hang out with us and the rest of the fiends at nofspodcast.com slash club. Until next time, I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.